Before we go any further, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's ask God to bless us with the Holy Spirit to receive the present blessing that he has for us. Father in heaven, Lord, we come from a different backgrounds, different spiritual conditions, Lord. And we come to you just as we are, though, sinful, helpless, and needy. Lord, we want you to speak to us today. Just pray and ask that every person would leave being full of the word of God. And God, that you would allow us to partake of heaven's blessing today. Thank you so much for Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. I'm just, I'm really excited about Carlos's baptism and all that God wants to do through him. Some of you guys know the story of how I met Carlos. It was totally a God thing. But that just communicates something to me, that every day God wants to use me, and he wants to use you. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a Sabbath school teacher. You don't need a degree. God can use you if you're willing. Amen? Amen. Well, the name of the sermon today is called Paralysis. Paralysis. I'm going to tell you a story, true story that happened to me. Some of you guys heard this story. Some of you guys have not. But uh, it was a very interesting event that took place in the year 2004. I was going to school at Weimar College up in Northern California. I, was, I actually got sick towards the time when finals were being uh, given. I got so sick that I had to skip my finals, and I was just laying on my bed. It's one of those stomach sicknesses where you just like, the slightest movement just really hurts. feels like there's 10,000 daggers in your stomach. And so I got really sick, skipped the finals, and then when the finals were over, that's when I got better, conveniently. But I talked to my teachers, and they said, all right, we'll let you take the finals a couple days later. We'll, a couple days later, we'll give you time to even study it out, study your subject material out, and we'll let you take these finals. Well, I went in there, and I took those finals, and I, it was, they were just really easy for me. I took it, and it was totally, I just give glory to God. I, I passed them all. And I never forgot, I was done with the last final. Summer was about to start. I finished up the final, and I was about to walk away. When my friend who happened to be down the hall, he says, hey, now come over here. I was like, all right. And my friend, he's a bit of a daredevil. I walk over there, and you know what he's doing? This is a two-story building, three-story building. What he's actually doing, he's rappelling off the side of the building. And he was like, man, I'm just having some fun here. He had some rappelling equipment. And I looked down, and he was just going against the wall, kicking off the wall. And he's just going down and down. Then he'd go run up the stairs. And then he'd kick off the wall as he's going down and down. And he's like, hey, I know you should try this. And I said, I don't know about this. And he's like, no, no, you should try it. So I said, okay. And the finals, I feel great physically. Why not? So I got strapped into the harness. And uh, I went off to the side, and I kicked off. I kicked off the wall again. I came right back to the wall, kicked off again, got lower and lower, and I was just letting down the harness, got down to the ground. I said, this is great. I'm going to do this again. Ran up the stairs, got strapped into the harness. I was right at the top, kicked off the wall, when all of a sudden I felt this free-falling sensation. And it was like everything just went into slow motion. My brain just seemed to freeze. And I just felt myself going down. And all of a sudden, it was as if, like, uh, my spine broke. And that's what it felt like. 
crack. I just hit, felt myself hit the ground. The rope had come undone, and I was just lying there on the ground. Okay? I felt such pain. It was just this agony. I was just laying there, and I was like, oh. And it was just pain was just shooting in, and I couldn't think, and I was just laying there, and I was afraid that I was paralyzed. You see, I had fell 25 feet on my back, landed on cement. And so as I was laying there, my friend came racing, and he's like, oh, no, oh, no. And he called the dean, and uh, my dean, actually, he used to be a, a pro surfer. He actually broke his neck, but he survived. And he's a little bit of a rough neck. He says, can you move your feet? I said, oh, I'll try, and I moved my feet a little bit. He's like, all right, your back's not broken. And he's like, all right, let's get you to the, let's get you to the hospital. Instead of calling the ambulance, they put me in the truck, okay? And my friend was driving in. He was going over these speed bumps, the ones they used to have over here like those. And it was like, poof. And I was like, oh, and I was just in agony, okay? Agony as they took me to the hospital. They injected me with morphine. And all of a sudden, I just felt myself getting very, very sleepy. They did x-rays, found out I actually had a compression fracture, T11, the T11 part of my vertebrae. And I had to wear this, this sort of, uh, this, this kind of contraption, and it was just right here, I had to wear it underneath my shirt, and it just kind of kept my back straight while, the, while my uh, back healed. But it was just a, a very scary experience for me, because I didn't have insurance at that time, Okay. I was able to go to the ER, and the school paid for the ER, but the follow-up uh, medical stuff, I did not have money for. Thank the Lord, one of my elders happened to be a bone doctor. He was able to look at it, and he was able to get me some stuff. I also broke my navicular bone in my wrist, and so I had to use my left hand for several weeks. But that was such a scary time for me because I was bedridden for a couple weeks, and I was just laying there, and, you know, I could walk, but it was just painful, and every time I would sneeze, that was the most painful thing, to sneeze. I just felt my whole back just, just really contract, and it was just a scary time for me, because I thought that I might lose my ability to be able to walk. Anybody ever been in a situation where you were in such a, a serious accident that you thought to yourself, you may not have use of your appendages after this accident? To be paralyzed is a scary thing. And there are some people who have to go through that experience. But the Lord gives them grace. Can you say amen to that? And God promises special love for those people who are going through those experiences. But praise the Lord, we can walk here we can breathe, we can enjoy all the things we do with our arms and our legs that some people don't have, amen? We are extremely blessed. Well, in the scriptures, there's a very interesting story about a man who was paralyzed, and he comes across Jesus. So everybody, take your Bible. We're going to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark is the second book of the Gospels. This is a very interesting story. This story appears in three other Gospels. And it's a wonderful story, but there is a, a boatload of, of good stuff in there for us. We're going to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. So it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark chapter 2. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Page 969, Seminar Bibles. Let's see what the Bible says, starting with verse 1. 
And again, he, talking about Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. By the way, does anybody know, know whose house it was? Peter's mother-in-law's house. Okay, let's continue. Or it could become Peter's house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. The Bible describes that when Jesus showed to this house, so many people packed this house that nobody could even get into the door. And even close to the door because everybody was excited that Jesus was there and he was ministering in that house. So all people showed up. In fact, when you read another gospel, the Bible describes from different people from different parts of the land begin to show up because they wanted to hear from Jesus. Let's see what happens next. And he preached the what? The word. Notice this. The Bible teaches that Jesus preached the word, the Bible. And we need to give the Bible to people because people are hungry for the word of God. Amen? As I said to you last week, when I was in Mountain View, I saw people from a variety of backgrounds, and they were coming because they wanted to hear the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to keep giving the Word of God. Amen? There are a lot of people who are hungry to understand this book. Well, let's continue. Verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by how many men? Four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now watch what verse 5 says. It's very key. And when Jesus what? Notice that. Jesus what? Saw their faith. Look what the Bible says. He said to the paralytic, sons... Son, your sins are what? Forgiven you. Now, a lot of people, when they look at a passage like this, they see a passage where God is extending his grace to somebody. Amen? And he is. But what's very interesting is that verse in verse 5, where God actually says this, where it says, the Bible says that God saw their faith, and he said to him, Son, your sins be forgiven you. Can you say amen to that? But you know what's very interesting? A lot of people believe that faith is something invisible. Ladies and gentlemen, faith is not invisible. Because it's invis if it's invisible, Jesus can't see it. Faith may be the belief of something invisible, but faith itself can be seen. Amen? And so the Bible says Jesus saw their what? Faith. Now let me ask you a question to the people around you. See your faith. Faith is not something to be hid. It's not invisible. It may be the belief in something that is invisible, but faith itself can be seen. And Jesus saw the faith of these men and how they were lowering down this paralytic. They were determined to help this man get help from Jesus. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot give forgiveness to anybody but we can show them where to find forgiveness. Amen? In fact, at Mountain View, we're baptizing this Roman Catholic. He's from Poland. And he's actually getting baptized today. He probably just got baptized. And he called me up last night, and he struggled with the whole thought of confession. He's like, I, I've, I've always gone my entire life, and I've confessed to the priest. 
And he says, now I've learned these wonderful things, I want to confess something to you. I said, brother, you don't need to confess anything to me. He's like, I know, I'm just teasing. He says, I want to ask you a question about how to find forgiveness. And we went through some verses and we talked about how you can go straight to God just as you are and there needs to be no other person between you and God and you can go there in the name of Jesus and you can find forgiveness. Amen? Amen. The only priest you need is the one in heaven. Amen? And that's Jesus, the high priest. The Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, he says to him, Son, your sins be what? Forgiven you. You know what we see here? We see something very interesting. We know the rest of the story. At the end of the story, Jesus ends up healing this paralytic. But I want you to understand where God places a greater priority upon. Spiritual healing or physical healing? You begin to understand it's spiritual healing. I know there are many views about Christianity, and some people think the whole purpose of the church is to feed the poor. That is a purpose of the church. But ladies and gentlemen, the real malady of this world is not poverty. The real trouble of this world is not that people are living with one pair of shoes versus three pairs of shoes. The real problem of this world is sin. It is sin. And so Jesus, the first thing he communicates to this man is, Son, your sins be forgiven thee. You want to know what's very interesting? The man was not even asking for forgiveness verbally. But he was desiring it emotionally. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus knew the heart of this man. He knew what he needed and the first thing he needed was to hear that his sins were forgiven him. In fact, Ellen White even says in Desire of Ages that when he heard these beautiful words, he turned his head to the side and simply just rested in that thought that if that was to be his physical condition the rest of his life, he would be satisfied because he knew that God loved him. Amen? In fact, when you take a good look at what Jesus says throughout the New Testament... Every time that God encourages his people to be happy, you see a common denominator. Look at the common denominator when Jesus is telling his disciples the reason why they should be happy. And I want you to tell me, what is the common denominator? Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Son, of, be of good cheer, you're what? Sins are forgiven. Matthew 14, verse 27. Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. John 16, verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice, that means be happy, because your names are written where? Ladies and gentlemen, where does God want us to place our happiness? What is the reason why he is saying to us we should be happy? Well, that's one of the, one of the things he lays out, but... When you take a good look at the common denominator of these verses, what seems to be communicated about the reason why Jesus says we can be happy? Grace, because he's there. Anybody else? Because he's overcome? Well, that's stating one of the verses, but we're asking, what are these four verses communicating? Do you guys see a common denominator? Well, be of good cheer is what he's communicating, and no worry be of good, is what he's communicating. But why? What is the common denominator of why he says you can be happy? 
It's because of not what you can do, but what he has done. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Why Jesus is saying you can be happy is not because of what you do, but what he has done. Take a good look at it. Jesus says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Who forgives sins? God. When he says, be of good cheer, it is I. Is it because of you or is it because of him? Him. When he says, be of good cheer, your names are written in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, who's putting your names in heaven? He. The reason why we can be happy as Christians when everything around us isn't very happy is because of what he has done for us. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. When you take a good look at the Ark of the Covenant, you know what's very interesting? This is a side note right here. When you take a good look at the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says in the book of Leviticus, remember the Ark of the Covenant? Where was the Ark of the Covenant located? <laughs> most holy place. We need to go through another evangelistic series. Okay, so here's the thing. In the most holy place, the most sacred part of the tabernacle, God set up the Ark. And there was very explicit instructions how to build this ark. God says this box is to be overlaid with gold. You are to put the Ten Commandments in there. But then he says this, I want you to build two cherubs. Cherubs were angels. And he says, I want you to place them over the ark. But Leviticus tells us one interesting fact about this ark. That the very lid that was covering the Ten Commandments was something called the mercy seat. But the angels, when you read Leviticus, the Bible actually says that the angels, their faces were to be downward. That was very intentional. Because God was communicating a point about the heavenly universe. That they're contemplating something. These angels are to be looking down at the mercy seat. And both angels, even though they were facing in the direction, the Bible says in Leviticus, have their faces downward towards the mercy seat. The reason being is because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, angels love to look at the gospel. They're astonished that a high and holy God forgives sinful beings. And it blows them away. And that's why the Bible says they're looking at it because they're contemplating this and they're understanding more about the character of God that mercy is covering justice. Can you say amen to that? And this is why we as Seventh-day Adventists, when God is leading us into the most holy place experience of the sanctuary, he is showing us that the universe right now is seeking to understand the gospel in our lives. This is an understanding that God is opening up. And as we continue, you're going to find out something very interesting. I appreciate the conference because they've been sharing some ideas about how they would like the churches in our conference to go forward. There's some wonderful things planned. I'll just give you a little bit of a hint. It's called Operation Blueprint. Check it out. The trailer's online. It'll be very interesting. Starting next year. But we begin to understand something about this simple gospel story where Jesus is standing before this paralytic and he tells him, son, your sins are forgiven you. But this is where it gets very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Take your Bible. Let's continue reading. Verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their what? Hearts. Why does this man speak what? blasphemies like this. Who can forgive sins but God, what? Alone. 
Now I want you to pay attention to this because the word blasphemy is very interesting. It's a combination of two words. Blapto, which means injury. It means what? And the word mephi, which means spreading or rumor. So the word blasphemy actually means the spread of injury specifically regarding God's name. And so what these Pharisees were accusing Jesus of was bringing injury to God's name. Ladies and gentlemen, was Jesus bringing injury to God's name, yes or no? In fact, you know what was happening? He was drawing people to the name of God. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be careful of the spirit of the, of the accuser of the brethren who takes a list of our sins and displays it before the universe. That is the accuser of the brethren. And that is what blasphemy is. Injuring God's name. And so what is happening is that these Pharisees are accusing Jesus of committing blasphemy. But was he committing blasphemy, yes or no? No, because he is God and he can forgive sins. Amen? Now this is where we're going to do some Bible study. I want you to take your Bible. Take a good look at it. What we just read. Mark chapter 2. There are five groups in this story. Actually, Les Balio tipped me off on this. There are five groups listed in this story. I want you to take a good look and tell me a name or a category of one of the five groups in this story. Just raise your hand, I'll call on you and say, okay, I identify a particular group in this story. Okay, you see Gentiles? Where do you see Gentiles? Okay, you would say the crowd is a particular group. Jim. The Pharisees are another group. There's three other groups in this story. Who? You have the disciples and Jesus in another group, but there's two other groups. What? Okay, you have the friends of the paralytic who are bringing the man to Jesus, but there's one other group. Huh? The faithful, we would say that maybe it's part of Jesus and the disciples, but there was one other group. The sick. The paralytic. Now, this is very important, ladies and gentlemen, because what we begin to understand, in when it, when it comes to the work of redemption, something that we are playing a part of, we are one of the five groups. We are one of the five groups. Either we are like Jesus and the disciples and giving the word of God to people who are hungry, or we are like the paralyzed man who needs help, or we are like the friends who are bringing the people to Jesus to find help, or we're the mindless crowd that gets in the way where people cannot come to Jesus. Or we're like the Pharisees who are critical of the ministry of grace. Ladies and gentlemen, who are you in this story? Who are you in this story? Are you like that group that stands in the way that when people are wanting to come in Je to Jesus, they can't even get in through the door? Are you like that group of people who you feel spiritually paralyzed and you can't do anything? Are you like that group of people? Your job is to see as many people come to Jesus and receive his grace as much as possible. Amen? Amen. What group of people are you? When we take a good look at this story, ladies and gentlemen, we are one of these five groups. Or we're like the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. We're always critical of everything else. What group are you? 
You know, we're told that the greatest, the greatest sin that was existing during Jesus' time was an adultery. It was an intellectual assent to the truth. That all you need to be saved is simply have a knowledge, but no change of heart. Ladies and gentlemen, what group are you? Are you opening the floodgates of grace? Are you saying, hey, come to Jesus, come to Jesus? Or are you like those people who are laying burdens on people's back that they can't even get through the front door? Ladies and gentlemen, each one of us should be so ready and willing to give up our seat to see people come to Jesus. We should be like those friends who are carrying the paralyzed to the throne of God and say, this is where you can find grace. That is the work of the church. And what you are seeing here, you are seeing one of five groups. And if you find yourself in a group you shouldn't be a part of, ladies and gentlemen, ask Jesus to change your heart. Because he can. Can you say amen to that? In this story, we begin to understand something that's so powerful. That God wants us to be like those friends who are bringing people to Jesus. And when God sees our faith, oftentimes he will reward the person that you are bringing because of your faith. You know, one day Ellen White was talking before a person who was sick, and she was just on her bed, and she was just sitting there, and she was in such pain, and she was ministering to her, and she says, I can't believe I don't have faith. Ellen White says something so beautiful. She says, then we will have faith for you. Amen? We need to have faith for people who don't have faith. When they are struggling to come to God, we say, Lord, I'm going to intercede on that person's behalf that they may be saved. And just like these four friends who were so determined that they cut a hole in the roof to lower the man down to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, how determined are you to see people come to Jesus? How determined are you? Are you willing to climb the roof of the church? Anybody willing to climb the roof of the church? That determined? Some of us feel if we can't even go through that one walk where we're not going to church anymore. We've set up our own routines. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to be so determined. Even like Zacchaeus, we're willing to climb up a tree to see Jesus. Nothing should stand in the way. Even the Bible says this in Isaiah, He is near who justifies me. Our determination is to come to Jesus, whatever the cost, and to bring as many people as possible to the throne of God as well. That is the work of ministry. That is the work of angels. And this is what God wants us to partake of now. This is a time where many people are hungering and thirsting for the message of the Word of God. I hate to say this, but there should never be an empty seat in the church. Amen? There should never be an empty seat in the church. Now I'm going to challenge you. You ready for this? Take it home. Did you invite somebody this week to church? Did you invite somebody to come to the throne room of God this week? Have you made any attempt to see that somebody comes close to Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, what have you done for the kingdom this week? I'm challenging you because I want you to rethink about this coming week.
and say, Lord, I want to bring at least one person, one person, even if I have to tell all my friends to take what, do whatever it takes to see this person come to Jesus, I want to bring this one person. You know, it's very interesting. I was taking classes, three classes simultaneously, as I was uh, doing this evangelistic series. Okay? And it's very difficult sometimes when you're concerned about the church, you're concerned about this evangelistic series, and you're trying to finish up three classes. One of the class happened to be a philosophy of science class. Two of the classes I did online. Well, in this philosophy of science class, the teacher is a staunch evolutionist. Most of the students are science students. One of the students was trying to go into law school, and there was an Indian pastor in that class as well. The last week, or the last month, the month I was actually doing the evangelistic series in Mountain View, the teacher announces, we're going to be covering creationism. Now, I'm in Mountain View. So you know what I was doing on Tuesdays? I was racing down here, going to class, going down Monday, excuse me, going to class, then racing back up to preach that night. And I'll tell you why. Because there were some people I believed in that class who needed to hear the gospel. Interesting enough, as I began communicating with people around me, I was determined that I was going to be a Christian in that classroom regarded, regardless if people disagreed with me. I found out as I was connecting with the person next to me, was actually dating an Adventist girl. Talked to the person on my right. He did his final research paper on string theory. I did mine on intelligent design. I threw in some string theory concepts in there as well. I tell, told him on the last day, I said, give me your email. I want to email you my paper. That guy came to our Bible study last Friday. One of the days... The teacher was just denouncing creationism. And I was just walking in that class. I was like, Lord, give me the right words to say. I know there's somebody here who needs to hear this truth. Somebody. And so I walked in the classroom. And the teacher starts just attacking creationism. And she starts going after it. At the end, she, at the end, she lays out the criteria for the National, Science, the National Academy of Sciences. They have four or five criteria of why, um, what's considered science. One of them is empirical testability, number four. I raised my hand, which was the last day of the class, okay? This is right down to the last five minutes of class. I said, Lord, give me the right words. I raised my hand in class, and I said, I noticed number four, empirical testability. I said, when you take a good look at the macro aspect of evolution, I said, what it is, it's greater morphological changes over a period of time. I said, how do you test that, empirically test that, when we can't see it in our time? She says, well, what we do in science is, is that if there is a theory like that that is presented, we say, we go back and say, are the effects of this in history, or can we go back to the fossil records? Raise my hand again. And I said, well, when you take a good look at the fossil record, the fossil record is not continuous, it's discontinuous. And she said, well, you're right about that. I said, you know, when you take a good look at the last hundred years, the fossil record or this theory of evolution has been really pressurized, where a lot of people are making it, ramrodding it to make it fit and work. And she's like, well, you're right about that, too. And I said, how many alterations does a theory need before it's finally dismissed? 
and she said, this was the last thing she said in class, she said, well, you're right about that too. She says, that's what we're here for. She ended the class on this, okay? There was a young man in there, about two or three sounds. This happened a few weeks ago. And he says, hey, now I want to talk to you, like that. I said, all right, let's talk after class. He comes up to me and he's like, he's like, hey man, he's like, I heard what you said. And he says, but I don't believe in the supernatural. I believe in the natural, you know, naturalism. And he's telling me these things. And I said, have you ever studied uh, the Bible out? And he's like, he's like, no. He's like, but I did have some background. You know, I used to be a Roman Catholic. But he says, you know, I don't study the Bible. And he says, I don't believe in that stuff. So I said, well, you know, there's a lot of evidences out there. And show into uh, our belief in intelligent designers, a very reasonable answer, a reasonable um, uh, topic. And he is like, yeah, I just, I said, have you ever studied the book of Daniel and Revelation? He's like, no. I said, you give me three weeks. I'll study the book of Daniel and Revelation. I said, if you come out of that and you still have the same mindset, that's fine. But I said, three weeks. He said, I'll take you up on that offer. Now, the reason I'm saying this, and I'm going to be giving him a call pretty soon, because class just ended not too long ago. I just got done, and I'm excited about calling up and doing this. He, he lives in Turlock. Whatever it takes to bring that person. I didn't learn a single thing in that philosophy of science class. <laughs> not a single thing. I, I didn't even read the literature. I just studied the examination questions, and I passed the class. It was totally a God thing. But I knew that God had me there for a reason. And I was like, there has to be somebody here who needs to come to the throne room of God. I would sit in class and I would hear these things and I said, there has to be one person who's in this classroom who, need, who is in their heart looking for something. Ladies and gentlemen, every day around us, there's somebody. We're coming across. And God wants us to do whatever it takes to get that person to the throne room of God. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, this is what took place. Now we're coming down to our last part. Take your Bible. Let's go to the end of this story because something unique takes place. Mark chapter 2. I want you to see what happens next. By the way, whose house was this? So what did they do? They lowered a man down, a paralytic down, through the roof. Four different men, four corners. You know, when you read the book of Acts, the Bible describes Peter in vision on top of a house. And he sees a sheet coming down, four corners. And God says, see this unclean animals I want you to eat. And the Bible tells us that Peter understood. He was not talking about unclean animals, but he was talking about mankind. Do you know why Peter was given this second vision? Because God was dealing with Peter's bigotry one step at a time. The people believed that those who were paralyzed were unclean. Because of their physical conditions is why they were separated from God. And there's a lot of people who fall into that category. They feel that way. And what Jesus did is say, no, no, no. This man can be clean again. And Peter began to understand this. But Peter had not fully understand this until in the book of Acts. Where all of a sudden he sees that sheep come down. And this time they're unclean animals. And God communicates to him. These are clean and Peter understood he was talking about Gentiles. The Jews had this bigoted belief about people who were paralyzed and people who were not of Jewish ethnicity. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to get rid of our bigotry. Amen? Let's continue. Mark chapter 2. 
Let's see what happens at the end of this story. Verse 8. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? He knew that people in the, in the audience, some of the Pharisees, were thinking, No, no, no. No way. Jesus picked that up. And watch what happens next. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you. Or to say, arise, take up your bed, and what? Walk. But then look what he says, verse 10. But that you may know, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. In other words, he's saying, that you may know that I have power to do the invisible, i.e. forgive sins. I am going to do the visible. Does that make sense? He's showing that he has power in the invisible realm to forgive sins, to change someone's heart. And he's saying, watch what I do visibly so you can see that I can do that which is invisible. And so watch what happens next. Verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately that paralytic stood up. He began to move his legs. And you can imagine it's probably teetering for just a second. And he starts walking. Can you imagine that paralytic just walking? And feeling no longer being, you could say, the, the law of gravity restricting him to the ground. He felt himself being able to move. And you can just imagine him kind of jumping up a little bit. Moving from side to side. And he's just moving. He's feeling his legs again. And Jesus says, take up your bed. Take up that thing which you've been laying on and walk out of here. That man was put into that place through four men. But he walked out a whole man. Can you say amen to that? When you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't leave the same. Amen? Now ask yourself the question. Are you that mindless crowd that's just sitting there? Those Pharisees that are just critical of what's being done. Or are you like those four friends bringing this person to Jesus? Or are you like that paralytic who's receiving healing now? Who are you, ladies and gentlemen? But this one last part is so important. For us as believers, we need to understand something. Not only does God forgive our sins, amen? But he gives us power to walk. Amen? He gives us power to be Christians. And that's why the Bible says, he not only forgives our sin, he does what? He cleanses us from all what? Unrighteousness. The Bible says that there is forgiveness with him that we may fear him. In other words, that justification leads to a sanctification. And he has called each one of us to walk as Christians. And the same way that we receive this grace to be forgiven is the same way that we walk with Jesus day after day. Can you say amen to that? Look what the Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Through grace, faith. Watch what he says. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, you receive Christ by faith. The Bible says, so what? Walk in him. The same way you receive that forgiveness, Jesus now says, I want you to walk as a Christian. Amen? Through faith. 
Oftentimes we forget this so important lesson that what Jesus wants to do, he wants us not only to, wants us to not only be healed spiritually where we're forgiven, but he also wants to give us power to walk as Christians. And it happens the same exact same way, through faith. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, are you walking by faith with the Lord today? Do you know what that means? That means even if you feel spiritually paralyzed, God says to you, get up and walk. If you feel like, Lord, I'm just not, I don't feel like a Christian, God says, get up and walk. He's talking to you today, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says the same way you have received him, every time you ask for forgiveness, that same way, faith in grace, walk in him now. Can you say amen to that? Can you believe it when Jesus spoke those words? They penetrate into his heart and his mind. And then the powers of creation helped that man's leg to be strong. And as he began to take that first step, he was restored. We have to accept this grace that God offers to us to walk as Christians every single day. This promise right here is so powerful. I love what Ellen White says right here. It's so powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. You cannot atone for your past sins. Amen? You cannot change your heart and make yourself holy. But God promises to do all this for you through Christ. Can you say amen to that? You believe that promise? You believe that promise? You confess your sins and give yourself to God. You will to serve Him. Just as surely as you do this. Watch this. God will fulfill His word to you. He will fulfill his word to you just as you say, okay, Lord, I'm a messed up person, but I'm going to walk as a Christian today. And as you do that, God fulfills his promise to you. Amen? If you believe that promise, believe that you are forgiven and cleansed, God supplies the what? Fact. You know what the Bible says in two different places? God cannot lie. Amen? And if he called you to walk, then you will walk. Amen? If he has called you to be a Christian, then you will be a Christian by that power. Amen? Look what she says next. God supplies that fact. You are made whole. Just as Christ gave the paralytic power to walk when the man believed that he was healed. It is so if you believe it. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it. It is so. Not because I feel it, because God has what? Promise. Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe the promise? Do you believe God has made you whole? Then walk as a Christian. Amen? And as you do, God supplies the facts. How many people want to say, Lord, I believe the promise of God today, that he has called me to walk in him. Amen. According to your faith, be it done unto you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much that sinful people like us can come to you and be made whole. Not only be made whole, but Lord, to walk out as free men and women. And the Bible says where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Lord, no longer slaves to sin, but by faith we choose to believe you have given us power to walk now and to be Christians, to be the people you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord, for supplying the fact. We accept your grace, God. Bless each person today. May they know they're loved by all of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.